Hi everyone, welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. John and Mike here, and today we've got a really great topic. We're going to talk about financial literacy, but before we get into it, John, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. I'm at the end of the workday, though. I'm trying some different mic settings, so I'm nervous. My hands are sweaty. We'll see how this goes. You sound more suave. Yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to slow up my voice, so maybe I'm just going to talk like a normal human and see what happens here. It's funny, because I'm sure you and I have both been fooling around with mic settings and i'm sure listeners are going to catch on that on different episodes we may sound completely different so yeah i i really do hope it gets better everybody uh for those of you who say that it sounds like i'm calling in i am trying to figure that out so feedback is great keep it coming <laughs> all right well today well, no 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 you, oh no we're not even gonna dive into no. oh all right you asked me how i was doing i have to ask you how you're doing got it i didn't want to just talk about me so I'm good. Yeah, it's a a typical Monday. So busy day at work. I similarly just got home recently. So we're we're sneaking this in right before dinner. It's beautiful outside. The kids are, uh, you know, well behaved and outside. So summer loving summer living is great. Yeah, yeah, agree. I mean, we just had you guys over and you've got four boys. I've got four boys starting to get to the age where they actually just leave us alone. So we can sit and be lazy. It's yeah, it's wonderful. There, there is something wonderful just about my youngest is almost two, as you know, but listeners don't, obviously. And getting to that age where they can all just play in the yard and, you know, you're still supervising them, but you don't have to be out there holding their hand or pushing them on the swing. They can generally entertain themselves. It's nice. All right. So today we're going to talk about financial literacy. And we've got this is going to be our first interview of the podcast. So very exciting. Um, And we're going to talk to a good friend of John's, actually, Frank Randall, who is a financial advisor. Is that the right word for him? That's right. Yep. He's a financial advisor. And Frank specializes in doing um, wealth planning, financial advisement for APPs, so specifically PAs, pharmacists, nurse practitioners. So we figured it was a great opportunity to have him on and just talk about financial literacy within the healthcare field. I, uh, I see it so often in colleagues and coworkers. I think we are all brilliant people just by definition to go into healthcare. You usually have to have a, a very high IQ, a very high work ethic. And yet, at the same time, there seems to be a very wide range of financial literacy. So I think more conversations about how we can be smart with our money, especially in careers where we're making you know a good, healthy six-figure salary in some cases, I think that's a really good discussion to have. Uh, the, the interview is great. Uh, we go into some pretty specific detail about how we can handle our finances and how it might affect our personal lives or business lives. So it's it's not about just getting the right products. Um, I think the the shift in understanding how much uh, school has been costing and the federal and some state uh, changes that are potentially causing most colleges to become you know a little bit at least less expensive. Uh, if not entirely free, this is this is going to affect uh, how we might handle our finances uh, in the future as a student or a professional. You know what? That's a great point. So, you know, in an earlier episode, we talked about LinkedIn and you have made me a LinkedIn believer. So thank you for any listeners that are following us on LinkedIn. And if you've noticed, I've become more active. It's all because of John. But on LinkedIn, one of the things I've noticed is, my goodness, the financial advisors, they're like sharks in the water. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll friend request you or connect with you, whatever it is. And then without fail, five minutes later, they're sending you their pitch on your direct mm-hmm. messaging. 
So I think with that in mind, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I think we should go through just kind of our relationship with Frank, because I want to make sure that listeners don't think that this is a sales pitch, anything like that. And I agree with you. I, I've gotten to know Frank professionally, um, not as my financial advisor, but just with some work we've done with other organizations. And I've been very impressed with him. And I think the big thing that I love about Frank is he's truly passionate about this and he's never tried to sell me a financial product. He's given me some really good Mm -hmm. advice and he's really here because he has a heart for education. He has a heart for helping these healthcare professionals. And I've uh, really had good experiences with him working with various organizations. So it is something where I think Frank is uh, maybe not what you would typically think of, of a financial advisor of maybe that, that used car salesman uh, persona. Yeah, I've known him for years. So I've got great stories that I could tell you, but in a professional sense. We'll save that for uh, off script. Yeah, that'll be for off script. Uh, I had been working with financial advisors in the past. I didn't really in- like the type of service I was getting. And uh, Frank came up uh, in conversation. So I went and saw him. Uh, I let him do his pitch as, um, as we will talk about a bit uh, later in the podcast with them. And... I was really surprised at how uh, his company approached financial literacy and education, uh, so much so that as soon as I got out of there, I, I mean, I signed up for um, to work alongside them, uh, and I started pushing as many people as I I could towards them to get them a, a good head start. Because I wish I would have had it when I was yeah. When he I, made when you I a believer. Yeah. yeah. So um, for disclosure uh, reasons, I do know him. He's a friend of mine. We do get together outside of anything professional, uh, but I'm not having all of my friends on here. Um, I'm having folks on here that have something valuable uh, to at, at least get just get you folks started or what, guide you along. What John is trying to say is Frank and I are not his only friends. <sighs> I he, mean, he is a very likable guy. That's the hope. We'll see what happens. So I think uh, the last thing that I would leave it with, and then we can get to the interview, is if you can't tell already, John and I are big believers in in having professionals help you manage your money. Um, I think so often finance is a behavioral thing. We can look at things and say, okay, I know I should save more money, I should spend less, but at the same time, it's hard to do. And when you have that outside objective person that can help guide you along, and maybe identify some areas that you're spending too much or identify areas that you need to prioritize better. I think it really can be helpful. We both have financial guys. Frank is not mine. I use someone different. Um, but Frank has still been a wonderful resource to me and always very helpful, even though I, I don't have him as my guy. But we both believe really strongly that having someone on the outside helping is a, is a big deal. We will talk a little bit throughout the podcast about some DIY stuff and what you can do with that. But I think overall, we are um, definitely on on team financial advisor and Frank is a resource and our hope is down the road to have more people on and just continue to build resources for our listeners. Yeah, very good. Well, I'm excited to get into it. Um, I, I, I'm just going to lead us in. We've never done this before, but I'm going to make something up. This is where we're cueing the music, uh, transferring over. Uh, this is, uh, Sarah, this is your cue to uh, start some music but we can keep that in uh, I hope everybody enjoys this uh, we'll, we'll see you at the end of the show and for those of you going to off script we'll see you then and now ladies and gentlemen white coats of the round table okay so today we're talking about financial literacy and we've got Frank Randall here 
He is a longtime friend of myself. We've known each other for over a decade. Um, I've got stories both professionally and definitely unprofessionally too, uh, but I'll leave that for after hours for anybody who's on the Patreon gets to hear that. Uh, but I will still keep it as PG as possible. Okay. Now there's high expectations for the off script. So oh, there's there's plenty. Um, we did die once, almost. And we'll okay. I'll leave that for the Patreon though. I definitely so, need, I need to hear this story. Yes. So uh, Frank, I'm gonna if it's okay with you, Frank, I'm gonna introduce you, and then uh, you can kind of clean up anything that I may have missed, uh, so that any of the listeners can know where to find you and also hear a little bit about your past too, if you want to bring up any of that. Uh, so like I mentioned, Frank and I have known each other for a very long time, Frank Randall. So he's a business development manager and financial specialist. He joined Alliance Advisory Group in 2020, uh, and he holds a master's degree in public administration and nonprofit management from SUNY Brockport. And he comes to uh, AAG, which is the Alliance Advisory Group, with a professional background in both banking and organizational leadership, and has developed a niche in working with advanced practice providers, nurses, and pharmacists. And Frank and I have actually been working together professionally as well. Uh, I've been able to take advantage of the services of AAG, and I've pointed a lot of colleagues uh, and students over to the company because I really do believe in, in how they handle finances, uh, and I will put them up against anybody else that I've worked with uh, in the past. Uh, so, Frank, I, so that I don't go too heavy into the paint about our our past history and our friendship before all this, uh, what did I miss? Is there anything that you you want to bring up about your accolades that makes you seem you know professional? Yeah, I think we've known each other probably closer to fifteen years. Oh, 10 years was where it was. So I said over a decade, but go ahead. No, I, I think I think you hit it right on the spot. Right, I think. Um, you know, SUNY Brockport, you know, from the area, you know, went to high school in Rondequoit, um, bachelor's in communication, master's in nonprofit management, and was in banking for a while, really kind of loved the finance side of it, you know, but it was kind of limited to what I can do for people, uh, not just counting the hours and the solutions. And so, you know, when I was looking for a firm to join, I interviewed a lot of different places. Um, and, you know, when I saw that, you know, Alliance won, you know, like best place to work in Rochester, like the culture to me was a real big thing and um, really definitely narrowed it out. And so I just think, you know, my age, 33, I think from looking at my generation, a lot of like their values really aligned. And that's really what I try to I think deliver you know, to you and clients and to people we talk with. So, Frank, let me jump in before we actually talk about finances. I, I think it'd be interesting if you want to share with the listeners, how did you build your niche or niche, we'll go with niche. How did you build that in with healthcare professionals? I think that's an interesting story of maybe how you got there. Yeah, I um, I think first, uh, you know, my wife, she's a nurse practitioner at Strong, right? And so kind of seeing her, I met her when she was a nurse. And so kind of seeing the, you know, the dedication, you know, the education, the sacrifice, you know, all of that from her journey from being a nurse, being a nurse practitioner, um, definitely recognize, I think, from her that lots of education when it comes to, you know, the studying, right? I mean, I can't even fathom the amount of studying that, you know, that she went through and nurse practitioners do, um, but really not a lot of really financial education or whatnot. And so I found myself really kind of gravitating towards, um, you know, advanced practice providers, NPs, PAs. And I think the other thing is that 
you know, they respect, I think, data-driven planning, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when we're talking about solutions for people, yeah, you know, you could have an opinion, but if you can't back it up with data. And so, so I really look at the people that I work with is really, you know, assessing the patient and diagnosing what's going on and, you know, not giving a prescription first, right? I think like that would be a problem. So I, I just found the niche niche to be respecting of kind of the, the data backed, you know, planning that we do. So can I, can I um, ask you a question about that then? Uh, when you do have your clients, when you are comparing clients from, from different avenues of life or professions, do you see medical professionals who, who carry the, uh, the mantle of the type a person? Do you see that reflective in your, in your clientele or is it generally based the same with how they respond to the data that you you've given them? So are you asking, does his healthcare professional clients have a higher representation of type A personality compared to other clients? Is that yeah, the question? And how, okay. Yeah. And, and how do they respond to some of the recommendations that you make? Do you get more pushback from healthcare professionals? Yeah, I definitely, I'd probably say gravitate towards, you know, type A. I think, you know, again, it's, it's the whole gambit of everyone from, you know, I have clients who are. Uh, you know, nurses, you know, surgeons, PAs, MPs, you know, pharmacists kind of all over the place. And often, oftentimes matters if they're individual, if they have a spouse, a lot of times, you know, you're going to get different relationships there. Um, but no, I think, you know, with my process, you know, it's, it's a little bit slower, right? And there's a lot of like data collection um, and just taking our time before we start writing prescriptions. I feel that they, you know, they appreciate that because nobody wants to go into, uh, you know, a meeting with a doctor, right. And being told, here's your prescription right off the bat without explaining. And, and I'm probably one of the worst patients for a doctor. I know, um, you know, I've had some back issues in the past and I was going to a physical therapist and I like have every question. I want to see the MRI. I want to see the data. I want to know like, what does this prescription do for me? So that's kind of how I operate and just kind of being inquisitical. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that probably relates. So to this group of people work well with your personality anyways, then it just seems to fit. Yeah, I think so. I think it's the, it's a, a lot of commonalities, I think to the process, but, um, and that's probably part of a natural reason why I gravitated towards it too. Yeah. Very so. good. So let's, let's dive into some, some actual financial questions and pick your brain and really try and find some good, useful information for our listeners. So specific to healthcare professionals and listeners of white coats in the round table, is multi-professional, you know, PAs, NPs, pharmacists. So really right within your niche. What do you think are some financial misconceptions or pitfalls that may exist that either are specific to healthcare professions or even more broadly within finances right now that um, our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, I think, um, I guess a couple. I think one thing is from a pitfall standpoint is that I think people generally are financially disorganized. You know, you think that like as technology should make things easier, it's almost made things more complicated. Um, you know, what I find is that people kind of have, you know, financial uh, instruments or strategies kind of all separated, right? But they don't really talk well to each other. So like the average person may have, you know, a tax guy, an investment manager, a car insurance guy, a life insurance person, a 401k, a CPA, credit card, right? There's so many different things. They don't, you know, sit well with each other. They don't talk to each other. So I think people are financially disorganized and it's easier to almost 
like just not even think about it and just live your life and hope that it figures itself out. Um, I think people sometimes do things out of order, right? From like a prioritization standpoint, there's, there's a lot of financial, you know, entertainers and content out there. And some of those things may be true, but I think if, you know, in a medical standpoint, right, if you're doing a procedure, you have to do it in the right order and you can't skip steps. So I think people skip steps all the time. Can you explain that? Give a couple examples, maybe. I think, no, obviously, you know, everyone's situation is unique, but, you know, one of the things I think it's common is, you know, getting out of college, getting out of school, one of the, you know, knee-jerk reactions might be to take every single extra dollar you make and put it towards paying off student loans so you can get them done in like two, three, five years. And I just don't think that's applicable for every person, right? I think sometimes it makes sense to maybe, you know, pay minimums for two, three, four, five years while your income is ramping up, while you're building, you know, a savings account, while you're, you know, putting assets to other places, and nothing can trump, you know, the psychology behind like, I have to get my debt paid off. So if somebody tells me I have to get my debt paid off, then okay, we'll work with that. But, but I think from a prioritization standpoint, um, the big pitfall I see is people maybe rushing to pay off debt too soon. Um, now, don't get me wrong. If it's a 25% Best Buy or Target credit card, yeah, let's knock that sucker out. Mm-hmm. Student loans, mortgages, they're not bad interest rates most of the time. So that's, I think, the first thing that really comes to mind. That, so I think that you're going to find a lot of people who listen, maybe not a lot, but even you and I talked about this. I, I did listen to Dave Ramsey a lot. We are going to name drop. Yeah, we're going to have, I mean, that's, that's an acceptable one because of how much we, he talks to medical professionals too with, with the large amount of debt. But that is the number one, no, that's, really one of the major steps of, of working his program. But you hear that a lot from folks following Dave Ramsey's program is you have to pay off the debt. And I, that's where I was. My mind was stuck in that spot. So I can, I can understand that. And even now working with you, Frank, uh, I, I think it still creeps up there. Like there's still some debt there that we have to, we have to account for, uh, Cause I'm not seeing the big picture. No. So I, I, I can understand somebody listening to this and saying, well, no, it's, it's working for me. I don't think I really need to change much, which may be true. Um, I don't so, have anything to say about that, Mike. Yeah, I actually, so I, let me distill that down to a question. Cause I, I'm actually in a similar boat to John. I was a, a Dave Ramsey guy. My wife and I paid off an incredible amount of debt. We're both PAs. So we had a, a very high debt load and we paid it off quickly and we're paying extra down on the house and our financial advisor told us to slow down because the interest rate is quite low. Mm-hmm. So we've shifted a little bit that way, but what Frank, what do you see as the concern if people are too focused on paying down their debt? What are some disadvantages that may come from being overly aggressive on debt payment? I think a lot of times it comes down to math, right? Like you alluded to it, right? If there's a very low interest rates, call it three, four, you know, even 5%. Um, and just from a rate of return standpoint, you can get that money, you know, you can grow by, you know, a more amount later down the road. That is just a math conversation. But I think also it's, it's what else can you allocate those resources for, right? So we're talking about, you know, a concept called the time value of money. If we take two scenarios and one is, 
you know, we use it to pay extra amount off of our debt. Second scenario is we use that to, you know, invest or do something with, you know, the challenge is if you use it, mainly in the student loan example, you know, if you overpay your student loans and something unexpected happens, you, you can't call Nelnet or Great Lakes and be like, hey, I overpaid you the last year and a half. Can you give me some of that money back? Like once you pay it, it's off your balance sheet. Um, you know, I think we saw that a lot when COVID hit and a lot of um, electives were canceled. People who worked in that elective field lost the ability to, you know, earn money for a period of time. And if they had been overpaying debt, you're really out of luck. So, um, you know, to comment on you know, like the Dave Ramsey kind of stuff, I think a lot of that, again, specific to everyone, but a lot of that probably made a lot more sense, you know, 10, 15, 20 you know, years ago mm-hmm. when this generation, I think, has been hit with you know, high cost of living, stagnant wages, inflation, you know, a lot of stuff. So um, I think that's the big risk is, is looking at it from really a holistic standpoint. What else could you do with that? Um, um, so. And I, I think the key, it sounds like, is that if you are not paying down debt aggressively, the alternative is to allocate that money into resources or investments that may appreciate not necessarily allocating that money into a BMW. Because I, I see it so often with my students they graduate, they've got, you know, $160,000 in debt, but they've got to go get the brand new Ford Bronco all tricked out with the lift kit because they're now making six figures as a healthcare professional and they've got to, you know, earn a dollar, burn a dollar. Yeah, you said it perfectly, right? So like, you know, the, the X factor is if you no longer, you know, uh, allocate the money towards that and you go blow it at the casino or go do something else, you're not helping yourself, right? That lifestyle creep or what we call you know, keeping up with the Joneses, have to get something else, like that will really uh, eat away at someone's like future financial health for sure. All right. So how do we get healthcare professionals who are coming right out of school into the mindset of thinking that way? Because when you were that age, you weren't, I mean, I'm going to talk to about myself, but I was not thinking long-term. Maybe if you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on having kids and doing this with my money and that with my money, but um, truly accepting the correct way to handle finances, I, I wasn't there. So what can people do to try and get there um, if they haven't realized that it may be important to them in the future? I think there's definitely more of an appetite now with this new generation coming out of college, right? You know, I, for the last 15 years or so, all my generation, again, I'm 33, almost 34. All I've known is, you know, stocks go up, market goes up, right? I think a lot of people are starting to realize that's not always the case. And I do feel like there's more of an appetite for financial literacy. Um, That could just be confirmation bias. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I guess what can people do, I think, is learn. I think that there are so many tools and resources out there. Um, you know, podcasts, YouTube, mm-hmm. Google, um, but being careful because there are a lot of financial entertainers, right? People that are selling content or classes. And I feel like when COVID hit, Instagram, TikTok blew up of all, you know, people trying to push stuff. So there is a difference to know, you know, are you a financial entertainer or, you know, do you actually have some licenses and some, you know, professional background? But I think to answer your question, John, the big thing is just, be willing to learn and be willing to challenge traditional thought and what your parents told you. Um, no disrespect to mom and dad listening, but if it worked for them in the seventies and eighties, that's great. It, it isn't fair to say it's 100% going to work for you in, in 2022. 
Okay, so you, you say learn something, educate yourself, and be willing to challenge the old thought of how to handle your finances. So we could take this a couple of different ways though. Is there something that you would recommend first to go educate or where can they go educate themselves? Is there a book? Is there a good website? Is there a good content creator that you found to align more with uh, a correct understanding of finances, especially for medical professionals with more of a high debt load? I don't know if there's a specific type of universal content. I think when working with you know a financial planner, um, it's really about interviewing them and making sure the philosophy aligns because really... Again, not, not to plug financial professionals, but you know, really, we're there. To That's what we're here to do. So keep going. <laughs> no, we're really here to help people behave, right? Like mm-hmm. the biggest thing that that causes people to uh, not succeed, I think, is misbehaving, emotional, following the herd, doing what's you know hot or trendy. Um, so you know, there it should be an interview process. I, I tell new people I meet all the time. I really shouldn't be the the only person that you meet with. If we're talking about something as serious as your finances, um, interview, ask for their philosophy, right? Ask for um, you know examples of people that they've worked with in the past. Um, but you know there isn't. I don't think a uh, content creator that's that's king right now. Um, I think every situation is just so unique. It almost can't be. I think in okay. my so what I'm hearing you say is maybe step one would be to seek out a financial advisor or somebody who is already financially literate and get their opinion. I think that, and I am going to tie it back to the open to challenge traditional thought thing, because I see a lot of young professionals that we meet with. Um, and I don't want to talk about anyone's personal situation, but a lot of times the, the, the roadblock is, you know, I just want to run this through my parents. And, and I respect that. Right. Um, But at the same time, we just have to understand that their frame of thought around money is different. And I think that's the biggest thing um, is to be open to adapting. Right. In in today's economy, today's world, it is very different from 2018, let alone 1992. (laughs) Let me uh, let me jump in with a story because I want to echo what John said about financial advisors and I think the importance of them. Because um, it's not, it truly is not just a shilling. Um, so I think it was right before COVID, I took about $1,000 and I opened a Robinhood account because I thought it would be fun. And, you know, part of it was maybe a desire to gamble with the money, but I also kind of wanted to use it as a test to see, you know, is this something where I can DIY invest? Am I really needing my financial advisor? Am I getting value added from this service? And for about 18 months, I just played with a thousand bucks. So I kept the the risk real low. And I thought I was doing really well because at the end of 18 months, I think I was up 56 or $58. The market at that time had gone up something like 56% or something crazy. So that was eye-opening to me because I realized, my goodness, I don't have the financial discipline to, you know, buy and hold, to stick with stocks when they dip. You know, the, the the impulse when I'm buying single stocks is as soon as something drops, I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to dump it. And then you dump it and the next day it goes up. So I, I think very often having someone who is an objective outsider to give advisement, to give a plan, to to kind of walk you through it really does add a lot of value. And Frank, I think we can talk about that maybe a little bit. We'll take it to the off script side of things because I want to make sure we've got some good content for our Patreon members. 
but I, I definitely want to pick your brain on your thoughts of DIY robo investing because that's become so popular with you know different apps versus the value that you can get when you use a financial professional since you are paying more um, when you use a financial advisor. So talking about where that value added comes, I think is a really great topic that we'll dive into on the on the postscript. Yeah, I think what you described there really is um, behavior management, right? It's that, you know, there, there's a, a firm that puts on formation, it's Delbar's quantitative analysis. And they look, there's a study that looks at the past 30 years, what does the average equity investor get in the stock market? And what does the S&P 500 do? And the average equity investor uh, underperforms by like three or 4% than just the general stock market. So we're not talking about how do you beat the market? In many cases, how do you get the market? And what happens is people get in their own way. They get emotional. It used to be reading the newspaper. Then I was listening to CNBC and now it's going on TikTok. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, we trip in front of ourselves, I think, oftentimes. For there's, sure. a, there's a horrible story about, <clears throat> tell me if you guys haven't heard this one. The college student who saw the negative balance of $730,000 on the Robinhood account, not understanding that it wasn't that they were in debt that much. Um, it was like a capital loss. That not that the perfect example of somebody not understanding uh, what the financial impact is of their choices on Robinhood? Yeah, that, that person, he, if I remember correctly, you know, he made an option trade and uh, it was basically a two-legged option trade where, you know, it was showing as a negative rate of return, but the other side of the position hadn't closed out yet. And I think mm-hmm. they're breaking even, barely making money, you know, but I can't imagine what he's feeling, right? Like you see that, you know, I, it just, you know, it's, um, and that kind of goes to, I think what happens when COVID hit, there was this big interest in mm-hmm. meme stocks, do it yourself. And you know, it's uh, there is a there is a place to do it yourself. I just think it's a matter of how much, right? And how do we balance the robo advisors? How do we balance you know the planners, etc.? Oh, it started with a lot of extra money for healthcare professionals. Most of us were still not only employed, but sometimes overly scheduled. And so, we're, so a lot of these professionals were making more money. Uh, these these stocks were dropping to absolutely nothing for companies that were so large. They didn't, it looked like they couldn't fail. So we always, we thought they were going to come back up. So I can't tell you how many of my colleagues bought into things like uh, Disney or cruise ships or um, Boeing, these large businesses that were sure to come back up. We had extra money. So we, I feel like this is very parallel to just the healthcare professional life. We do, usually carry a higher load of debt. But as Dave Ramsey would say, we have a large shovel uh, for most of us. We can make an impact in some way. We just don't know necessarily how to do it. And so we just play with it or listen to our colleagues and just kind of mimic what they're doing. Uh, That's why I think it's extremely important to have you on to talk about these things. Um, I know we're saving a lot of things for the the after hours, but I I do want to ask a bit more about specific. So we we said, educate yourself, maybe find a financial advisor. Um, But what about 401k, um, IRAs, Roths, both? What should a healthcare professional do with their employer's 401k programs? And Frank, if you can just go through, as you're talking about, give us definitions. I just want to make sure if there's some listeners that may not know what a Roth is or what a SEP is, that as we're talking about it, we're bringing them up to speed. Yeah. 
Yeah. So again, generally speaking, you know, when John's talking about the Roth option, so, you know, the Roth retirement plan, it can be a Roth 401k, which is, you know, an employer sponsored retirement plan, a Roth 403b, if you work for a hospital or nonprofit, a Roth IRA, if you do it on your own. You know, so um, the Roth features is relatively new. It came in existence around I think, 1999. And the idea was to give quote unquote, low to middle income earners, you know, tax benefits, because what you do in a Roth account is you contribute money that's already been taxed, right? So, you know, you have to pay your taxes. You can't avoid taxes illegally in this country. It's just a matter of when do you pay the taxes, right? So in these Roth accounts, you're contributing with after tax dollars and it grows tax-free. And then when you take money out down the road, that money is no longer, you know, has a tax obligation. And so the really nice thing about that, again, statistically speaking, you know, if we look at taxes today, they're at relatively historic lows, right? I don't have a crystal ball, but with 20 some odd trillion dollars of debt in this country, I think and feel like they're more likely to go up than go down. So I personally utilize the Roth option, um, you know, and then depending on what type of benefits your employer has, right? So we're talking about um, what can you from a company standpoint, you know, a lot of companies offer match uh, sleeves into their retirement plan. Um, and I will say, I just saw a study, they updated, it said uh, 72%, 71% of all companies are now offering a Roth option. It used to not be that popular. So it's, it's gaining in a lot of popularity, which is a good thing. Um, you know, generally speaking, you know, I tell people if there's free money on the table for a match, grab it. Right. We, we love getting the minimum for the match. But what I will say, just like putting too much money towards debt, there also is a risk at putting too much money in a retirement plan for work. And everyone's situation is unique. But the risk is you can't access that money without a couple exceptions. But typically, you can't access that money till you're 59 and a half. Right. So hypothetically, if somebody can only save 15 percent of their income, and 1% goes to cash and 14% goes to a retirement account, you do put yourself at risk um, from like a, a longevity standpoint. Um, but, you know, with 401ks, retirement plans, some of them you can borrow from. Not ideal, but that is a nice flexibility that you can have access to. Um, something people may not know, if you have a, a Roth IRA or a Roth, you know, 401k or whatnot, the contributions are accessible. So you can always access the money that you put into the Roth, right? So if, if you have a Roth IRA set up that you're putting in X amount of dollars per year, um, assuming it doesn't go down, but you can always access the money that you put in. Um, and the only other caveat, I think, education-wise to talk through is uh, you know, Roth IRAs, there's a limit. You can only put in $6,000 a year under you know, current 2022 rules. Um, and if you actually make more than one hundred and thirty-eight, hundred and thirty-nine thousand as an individual, you're actually capped out. You, you can't even contribute, right? So, and it's not a true one thirty-eight. Like there's, you know, an adjustment there. But a lot of you know PAs, surgeons, doctors that we work with, that I work with, um, actually can't do a Roth IRA. But less than the good news is that they have that Roth four hundred one k through work. They can put, you know, as much as twenty and a half thousand dollars is the new limit you know, this year. Mm. Lots of options. I think, yeah, you know, I think the last thing on that, just to finish that thought, is you know, with company retirement plans, um, you know, a company plan sometimes, you know, they, they legally only have to give you a handful of options. So the investment 
menu that really isn't as robust as if you do it on your own, um, which is why I think it's about you know, complementing, right? It's not about having all of your savings assets in one bucket. It's how do we start to spread it around from a asset allocation, which is where you put your money in like a portfolio, and then asset location, like literally where do you put your money from an account standpoint? Diversify. That's what I heard that whole time is diversify. It's true. So I think uh, let's maybe we'll wrap it up in terms of the the general content. And then as we've been teasing already, we'll we'll jump over to the Patreon only side. And I think we're going to be a little bit more content specific and, and try and really pick your brain for some good free financial advice for our members. But I think the last question that I would leave you with, Frank, is what can healthcare professionals do? Maybe they're listening to this and they are financially disorganized, like we talked about earlier. What can be some first steps to to get them going towards financial independence? And obviously, we've talked about the importance of a financial advisor, and I think all three of us believe in that strongly. But even before that, you know, you talked about making sure that you're getting your company match at the 401k or maybe, you know, paying down high interest credit card debt. If there's some real low hanging fruit for our listeners that are recognizing they've got some financial issues to clean up, what do you think is the first steps? So the first steps would be take inventory, right? Like look at um, where your cash flow flows, right? How much are you making? You know, what are you claiming on your taxes? Do you need to adjust it? But more specifically, I think, um, make a budget, right? You know, make a budget, um, document your fixed and variable expenses because they're different, right? A lot of times people, you know, clump them together. The fixed expenses, you can't change. That is what it is, r- roughly speaking. The, the variable expenses, you have um, flexibility. So, I mean, generally oversimplifying, I think it's good to allocate 60% of your money towards necessary expenses, 20% towards saving is the goal and 20% to do whatever you want. I think a general rule of thumb that I like is save as much as you spend, right? Mm. And don't shortchange yourself, have fun, right? Like live life. We don't want to you know, work 40 years just to retire. Um, but I think from a philosophy standpoint, find a budgeting philosophy, you know, stick with it. Um, most financial advisors are free to meet with. So, I mean, Maybe there's some fear of that because I think a common misconception is, well, I need $500,000 to work with a financial advisor. Well, some people still unfortunately have that opinion, but I find that changing. Um, so inventory, figure out what you have um, from a budgeting standpoint, you know, document it, stick with it. I think what gets measured gets improved. So document, measure, um, and don't overlook your employee benefits. Uh, I find a lot of times people don't know all the stuff that they have offered through work. When it comes to an insurance standpoint, a benefit standpoint, um, those are the big three things I think that come to mind. So I, one, one quick thing, um, I, I think about in a way to challenge any healthcare professional about thinking about finances correctly is we all have those patients that come to us and they haven't been to the doctor or they haven't been to the PCP maybe even dentist for years up to even decades. And the reasoning why sometimes that we get out of them is they say, I I just didn't want to know. It's better not to know. Like I feel okay. And I, I just don't want to know. As healthcare professionals, we don't respect that as a, as a tolerable reason, just as with your finances, because it's, 
about just as impactful in your life. Uh, don't be that patient. Uh, really dig in to see what these symptoms are and find the festering wound that may be your finances and get it evaluated by a professional. You might do a pretty good job yourself with the DIY stuff, as Mike and Frank already mentioned, but see a professional. You have a tax guy, like you said, Frank, you've got uh, all these people in your life that you go to for professional advice. Um, find the person that does it every day and see if there is a wound that needs tending to. Uh, but I'm, I digress. I, I do want, I do want you to be able to tell everybody where to find you, how they can contact you. Uh, whatever you say here, we will put underneath the, not necessarily in the show notes only, but in the description as well. So anybody can just click on and, and get a hold of you if they want to. Well, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, I think the easiest way is just you can find me on LinkedIn, you know, Frank Randall. I, uh, you know, think there's a couple of us out there, but only one that does what I do. So easiest way is probably check check the comments there. But easiest way to get there, you know, um, obviously, you know, love working with this profession. I think um, there's a lot of similarities. And your example there, John, was perfect about, you know, oftentimes there are, you know, festering wounds that aren't showing the symptom right now, right? But like, I know if it's not course corrected or changed, right, it's going to create massive challenges down the road. And so I think that's uh, ultimately why I'm here. Very good. So where can they find you? Uh, LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash F Randall. Frank, it's been great to to have you on. I can't wait to have you on again, and we'll talk some specifics in the future. Uh, But for now, we got Frank Randall, uh, Mike Asbeck, and me, John McDonald, on White Coats of the Roundtable. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you.